everyone. Merry Christmas to one and all, or to anyone who's listening late, happy whatever day it is today. It's a season of snow if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, lights if you live in a town with a less aggressive dark sky policy, and goodwill towards man if man in general hasn't been kind of mean to you over the last year. So gather around the fire with me and I'll tell you a story of the friendship of two literary giants one of whom was a fastidious writer who took almost 12 years to put out his first book, The Hobbit, and the other who managed to put out seven books in seven years, filling out his entire Chronicles of Narnia in less than a decade. What makes this a Christmas story, you ask? Well, they almost came to blows over one of them wanting to add Santa Claus to their book. I'm Braden Thorvaldson, and this is What? Explain. The first meeting of these literary titans, creators of worlds that would outlive them by decades, was quite bland by comparison. They met at an English faculty meeting in Oxford at Merton College in 1926. Lewis, a larger man with a booming voice and a personality that made him beloved throughout his life, had some concerns regarding Tolkien, writing in his diary about the smooth, pale, fluent little chap who had no harm in him, only needs a smack or so. Some of this suspicion may have been rooted in their specific fields of expertise within the faculty. Lewis was an expert in literature, while Tolkien was firmly in the camp of linguistics and the history of languages. As with many factions in academia with more similarities than division, and with grant money often being divided between the two camps, with a boon to one being a bane to the other, there was some immediate rivalry between the two. However, once they got over their initial academia-based rivalry, they bonded over their love of Norse mythology and suspicion and distrust of the modern age. Neither of them owned a car, nor would they ever drive one, and both avoided the news and current affairs of the day. Tolkien in particular believed that there was nothing worth reading published after the Middle Ages, and so he maintained his concentration in the myths and legends of a bygone era. Despite their expertise appearing on opposite ends of the English academic spectrum, the two of them worked together over time to rewrite the English syllabus at Oxford, one of the first times the philology and literature departments had worked together in such a manner. But such was the power of their initial friendship. Over time, Lewis and Tolkien realized that their primary commonality was that they both were convinced that they were these two oddball weirdos who cared about stories that nobody else cared about and were interested in periods of literary history that nobody else was interested in. They both had a fondness for tales from the medieval period of Europe and the sagas of the Norse, but realized that within the last century they had been reduced to mere children's stories, unworthy of serious consideration by adults. They dove into the two genres that would offer them as much escape as possible from the modern world, fantasy and science fiction. However, they realized that at the time there was very little that they would consider worthy of their time to read in those genres. So, they resolved to write the stories that they wished to see more of, albeit in very different ways and at widely differing paces. But the writing of these books was not a solitary pursuit, slaving over a typewriter for days on end without a look from another person. Quite the opposite, in fact. Lewis and Tolkien met on Monday mornings for beer and conversation, described by Lewis as being one of the pleasantest spots in the week. Lewis continued, Sometimes we talk English school politics. Sometimes we criticize one another's poems. 
Other days we drift into theology or the state of the nation. Rarely we fly no higher than body and puns. What may have seemed just like two friends hanging out and getting a little day drunk on a Monday morning turned out to be so useful to both of their writing processes that they invited other writers to join them. As an invite for a pint and some discussion is a hard thing to turn down, many accepted, and the group, nicknamed the Inklings, grew to 19 people at its largest. Perhaps because some of the members of the larger groups had 9-5 to five jobs, including two practicing doctors, the meetings and beer moved from Monday mornings to Thursday evenings, and the process went like clockwork. Lewis and Tolkien waited until there were about half a dozen members in attendance. Then Lewis's brother Warren would bring out a pot of strong tea. Everyone would light a pipe and make themselves comfortable, and then Lewis, the de facto chair of the meeting, would ask if anyone had anything they wanted to read. Every week for 20 years, someone always did, and the rest of the members would sit down to listen, critique, revise, or otherwise suggest different ways in which the poem, short story, or novel chapter could go. The amount of published work that came out of these weekly sessions is nothing short of remarkable, and the fantasy and science fiction genres would be all the poorer without them. C.S. Lewis read The Problem of Pain, Out of the Silent Planet, The Great Divorce, Miracles, and others, many of them chapter by chapter as they were written. He read some of his poetry, including Donkey's Delight, and also read the Screwtape letters to the group, one letter at a time, and the Inklings loved them. For his part, Tolkien brought in each chapter of The Lord of the Rings, week by week as they were written. He also shared some original poetry in sections of The Hobbit, which had its origin as a bedtime story for his son. It wasn't just fiction and poetry that was shared at these Inklings meetings. Other members read literary studies, plays, biographies, academic papers, and even historical reviews, hoping for critique and suggestion from those assembled. Lewis was verbose in his praise of his fellow Inklings and their services to his writing, saying that what I owe them all is incalculable. The Inklings' meetings were widely looked forward to and were considered highlights of both men's weeks for over two decades. In addition to their literary conversations, both privately and within the Inklings, Lewis and Tolkien often had long conversations about religion. Tolkien, a devout Catholic who credited his largest influence being the Catholic priest who raised him and his brother after his parents died, had conversations with Lewis, an atheist with doubts about his beliefs. Lewis asked Tolkien why his beliefs brought him so much sadness if they were indeed true. Tolkien responded that many profound truths lay within the world's significant mythologies, including the Greeks and the Romans. One of the largest mythologies is that of Jesus Christ, and unlike many others, Jesus Christ did indeed exist. Tolkien did end up driving his point home by asking Lewis one question, whether it was possible that one time this myth had coincided with history, whether one time eternity might have broken through into time. This was too captivating a thought for Lewis to ignore, and over time he ended up moving away from his atheist beliefs and ended up joining the Protestant Anglican Church. That remained a rather large deal for Tolkien throughout the rest of his life, accented by the fact that in Lewis's historical tract, English Literature in the 16th Century, 
he referred to Catholics as papists and praised 16th century theologian John Calvin, himself a pastor who had broken away from the Roman Catholic Church. Tolkien took that as anti-Catholic slander, and it was one of the many factors that caused the two old friends to separate as time went by. While there were many similarities between the two authors, it was the differences that set them on other paths. Primary among them were religious differences, which were compounded by Lewis wooing and marrying a woman named Joyce Gresham, an American divorcee. Lewis's acceptance of Gresham's divorce and marrying her offended Tolkien, as the marriage would not have been possible in the Catholic Church. Additionally, Lewis's spending time in married bliss with Gresham took away from his time spending six hours loudly sharing and editing work with the Inklings, which Tolkien reportedly took quite personally. There was also the issue that Tolkien absolutely hated the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. He thought that the Christian themes and messages in the books were far too strong, with the lion Aslan being a very heavy-handed symbol of Jesus Christ. Tolkien also thought that the sheer amount of different conflicting elements in the book, which start with four children going into a wardrobe and finding a land filled with magic, talking animals, mythical creatures, and the previously mentioned Jesus lion, would overwhelm and confuse the children of whom the book was designed for. This was a stance that Tolkien took for almost each and every chapter that Lewis brought forth and read to the Inklings, but it was the inclusion of Father Christmas as something of a deus ex machina in the books that Tolkien considered a step too far, even for the world Lewis was creating, leading to the scuffle mentioned at the start of this episode. Additionally, Tolkien didn't think much of Lewis's attempts to write theological papers, believing that theology should be left to the professionals, and any attempts from non-theologists to write on the subject would lead to confusion and push more of the readers towards heresy than orthodoxy. When you have one friend disapproving of your wife, thinking that one of your most popular works is garbage, and your writings on a newfound passion should be best left to the professionals, you can kind of see the cracks start to form in a relationship. They also had widely differing philosophies regarding publishing. Tolkien was an obsessive perfectionist, which absolutely drove Lewis insane. He wrote of Tolkien, His standard of self-criticism was high, and the mere suggestion of publication usually set him upon a revision. It took Tolkien 17 years to publish The Fellowship of the Ring, the first in the Lord of the Rings series, after The Hobbit was published. It wasn't 17 years in which he was working on other things. This was 17 years worth of writing and repeated edits. One could make an argument that if it wasn't for the encouragement of Lewis and the other Inklings, the Lord of the Rings trilogy would never have been published at all. Lewis, on the other hand, cranked out all seven of his Chronicles of Narnia books within seven years, in addition to many different Christian tracts and theological articles. He was a lean, mean publishing machine, and many of his publications did not meet Tolkien's approval, thinking that they could have used a few more edits. Lewis's prodigious publication rate earned him the approval of his colleagues and the public in general. To many at Oxford, he was the perfect combination of well-known by the public and academically renowned at the institution. Lewis had speaking engagements across Great Britain, and his books were bestsellers wherever they appeared, particularly the Chronicles of Narnia. Tolkien did not have the same warm reception. 
he was still very well known and celebrated by his colleagues in the linguistics department of Oxford. Tolkien published a full translation of the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, and his essay on Beowulf was considered at the time essential reading for anyone on the topic. But these academic topics did not mix well with his fantasy work, and his colleagues often mocked him for it, asking, How is your hobbit today? This may have also fed into why exactly it took so long for Tolkien to finally send in a draft of the Fellowship of the Rings for publication, but Tolkien's fantasy work was not nearly as well received as his academic work in his lifetime. Between Tolkien's disapproval of his marriage, his prolific writing style, and his new passion for Christianity, and Lewis's consternation as to why exactly Tolkien never sent arguably his best fantasy work in for publication, the relationship cooled over time, and the two lived the rest of their lives separately. C.S. Lewis died of kidney failure on November 22, 1963. When Tolkien found out, he was devastated. Even though the two had not spoken in over a decade, Tolkien wrote to his daughter Priscilla, This feels like an axe blow near the roots. Very sad that we should have been so separated in the last years, but our time of close communion endured in memory for both of us. Tolkien made his way to the funeral, where he was one of the few non-family members in attendance, along with some of the inklings of whom Lewis spent many a night in discussion, argument, and camaraderie. It's saddening to me that a friendship that lasted decades and had such a significant impact on the fantasy genre ended in such a final way, with no real resolution on either side. The two men left indelible marks on each other, both in terms of what they had published and in their lives. Without Tolkien converting him to Christianity, Lewis may not have had the ideas of the overarching themes and story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Likewise, without Lewis's constant encouragements and suggestions, Tolkien's Lord of the Ring trilogy would have remained an obsessively edited but ultimately unpublished set of manuscripts, and The Hobbit would have remained a somewhat obscure British children's book. Most importantly for this time of year, we wouldn't have had a story in which Santa gives three children weapons. For mostly good reason, but still. Seriously, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a trip. Happy holidays and a Merry New Year, everyone. I'm Braden Thorvaldson, and I'll talk to you all next year. Theme music and audio mixing for this episode was done by Craig Murdoch and script editing by Sarah Smith, both of whom would accept weapons from Santa Claus if given, no questions asked. You hear that, Santa? If you want to be up to date on all things podcast related, why not follow us on Instagram at whatexplaincast or on our Facebook page as whatexplainpodcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have some time, please rate and review us. We do have a shiny new Patreon that has just launched. And if you're wanting to support the show financially, this is an amazing way to do so. Go to www.patreon.com slash whatexplain to look at the many tiers of support and what exactly it gets you. Word of mouth remains an excellent way to tell people about the show, so if you have a friend, family member, or someone who can quote long passages of the Silmarillion in your life that you think would like the show, please let them know. Thanks very much, and I'll talk to you all later.